Welcome back to Our Soul, a podcast by Faith Choice Ohio, Ohio's faith voice for choice. So we're recording on Ash Wednesday. We always seem to do fun things on different holidays, and Ash Wednesday is one of those days when we curiously always have something in the hopper every year. <laughs> um, Kelly, you and I have been um, testifying at the State House on Ash Wednesdays. We have been hosting trainings on Ash Wednesdays. Um, Ash Wednesdays of yesteryear. <laughs> and this Ash Wednesday is the day after we heard the fantastic announcement that the Ohio Protect Abortion Ballot Initiative has gone forward with its initial step, the initial signatures necessary. There are going to be a lot of different names for this. Like there's not uh, a concrete name uh, yet out, but the two organizations, the two groups um, that have come together around this are Protect Choice Ohio and Ohioans for Reproductive Freedom. Those two umbrella organizations merged late last week, um, came forward with the same ballot language and said, we are moving forward to protect abortion through ballot initiative in the state of Ohio. And we're sitting here on Ash Wednesday on the 22nd of February, the 21st of February yesterday, those initial signatures, the first few thousand signatures that need to be gathered um, in a ballot initiative process were filed with the state. And now we go through a process of waiting. As anybody who has been through this process in Ohio remembers, in order to amend the Ohio Constitution, there have to be a number of steps to certify a ballot question to be on the ballot in November 2023. That's just a few months away. Mm -hmm. um, this initial step is collecting a bunch of signatures. I think the minimum was around 1,000, but mm -hmm. they submitted seven or 8,000, um, collected those very easily in 48 hours. People are eager to see this on the ballot. Yeah. Um, the entire ballot initiative is a single page. Nice and straightforward, to the point. We will post that in um, show notes. I'm just going to go ahead and read the relevant portion of the ballot amendment here, which is in four sections. Um, section A simply says, Every individual has a right to make and carry out one's own reproductive decisions, including but not limited to decisions on contraception, fertility treatment, continuing one's own pregnancy, miscarriage care, and abortion. Section B just says the state shall not directly or indirectly burden, penalize, prohibit, interfere with, or discriminate against either an individual's voluntary exercise of this right or a person or entity that assists an individual in exercising this right. And then it goes on with a little more information about the state's right to intervene in certain cases and the idea that abortion can be prohibited after fetal viability. But what's very important is that in this amendment, if it is passed and put into the state constitution, fetal viability will be defined according to the judgment of the patient's treating physician. It will not be something that is uh, determined universally for all pregnancies. It will be on a case-by-case -case basis, and it will return the right to make decisions and judgment calls concerning all these forms of reproductive freedom, contraception, fertility treatment, continuing pregnancy, miscarriage care, and abortion. It will return the right to make those decisions 
back to the patient and their physician. Mm -hmm. So I'm interested to know, Kelly, um, this language has just now been released. It's just now been public. Many of our listeners, it will be the first time they've heard it. Um, For you, have you heard this language previously? And what do you think of it? I think uh, I haven't heard this specific language in this form before, uh, but a lot of this feels kind of uh, aligned with the uh, definition of reproductive justice, as we've mentioned so many times about the right to have children, to not have children and to parent the children we have in safe and sustainable communities. Um, And I think like, when it comes to abortion justice, we often talk about that not having children part, but I like that this includes, you know, that fertility treatment and continuing one's own pregnancy um, and, and all of those things. And I think, you know, it's kind of, um, how do I say this? It's a little disheartening that we have to write this down like this. Like the fact Mm. that we needed to do this, the fact that the people needed to do this is, sad um but i'm glad that this is what we're going for like this is what we're trying to make sure that our rights around reproductive health care are codified into law so that that can't be taken away um and i you know the, when you were talking about that eagerness to get this on the ballot and how you know we only needed like around a thousand but we're able to turn in seven to 8,000. Like, I think that just shows you, we talk a lot about like how a majority of people um, agree that you should have access to abortion. Like to see that in physical, like to see the seven and eight thousand, seven to 8,000 signatures and to have that proof that yes, this is a thing that Ohioans care about. This is a thing that Ohioans want to make sure are protected. Um, you know, I think like as as with most of this here, um, it's something that I've known, something that I agree with, and it's just nice to see it like on paper, you know, to see it validated um, by those seven or eight thousand people. Yeah, and I I think the the dynamic <clears throat> for so long has been that we have not moved forward with a ballot initiative in the state primarily because the question had been what ballot initiative, what dynamic around, you know, protecting our rights do we need? And now we're at a place where we all recognize that there's at least a, a basic minimum that, that needs to be met. Right. Um, I can remember, um, seven, eight years ago, sitting around with folks uh, in brainstorming sessions and different groups would literally like just get at odds with each other over, no, we need to focus on this framework. No, we need to have this framework. No, it has to be, you know, all or nothing. And it has to be, no, it has to be this incremental process. And there was this, this kind of, um, I, I don't want to say, um, I don't want to say disunity, but definitely disagreement in the movement over how to execute this. Mm-hmm. And now that we have experienced what a post-Roe environment looks like for the vast majority of people, folk are starting to realize, oh, we really do have a lot more to protect than we thought, mm-hmm. right? The inclusion of contraception in this amendment yeah 
was not something that was universally agreed on even four or five years ago among many um, in the wider movement because there were many people who said, oh, we don't need to worry about protecting contraception. Contraception is a, a right that we're never going to lose. It's not something anybody would dare to challenge. Mm, never and of say course, never. like, <laughs> right, like, like those of us in communities that have consistently uh, had trouble accessing uh, contraceptive care and accessing contraceptive care in um, relation to just education in schools, right? I mean, simply knowing about the options. Those of us who've lived that, whether you're whether you're rural, whether you are ex-urban, whether you are people of color, particularly black women, like folk in our state have struggled and not been heard for years around contraception. Now that Folk have woken up and seen the reality, right? That Roe has fallen and many other, you know, taken for granted uh, protections could fall as well. We're in a place where, ah, now is the time. We're going to protect these elements of reproductive freedom, mm-hmm. right? And it's and it's this holistic, like, I'm, I'm terribly fascinated to see fertility, listed in this because there is a recognition now that oh yes the same forces that have tried to force people into decisions about pregnancy are going to start forcing people into decisions about fertility Mm -hmm. and that's going to affect people with IVF with other forms of fertility treatment Mm -hmm. um it's it's really profound to see so many groups coalescing now around the reality that no the decision making around reproductive freedom belongs with a person and their physician it does not belong with the state legislature it does not belong with the governor it does not belong with the mayor and city council of your municipality please if you're listening to this that means you lebanon ohio and mason (laughs) ohio and anywhere else who considers the random idea of trying to regulate people's reproductive freedom at the city level right it does not belong with any of those people it belongs with the patient and I think it's beautiful that we have an amendment coming forward that recognizes that these decisions have to be made on a case-by-case basis. Mm -hmm. What does fetal viability mean if we divorce it from a true examination of of the person's experience, Mm -hmm. right? Um, When you begin to weigh those heavy questions, those heavy questions of how do you provide for the best for all the people in this situation, how do you you start that process if not with the person who is at the center of the pregnancy, mm-hmm. the individual who is pregnant, you know? Yeah. For so long in this state, we've taken it for granted that it's okay to center everybody except the pregnant person in mm-hmm. their decision-making. Mm-hmm. And now this amendment says not so. Yeah. We want it on our state constitution that these are our values, these are ethics, these are our morals. Man, I'm having a realization, and this is one that I really should have had earlier. Um, uh, so, um, as as our listeners probably, I hope you know, uh, I do a restorative and transformative justice training uh, occasionally. I think if uh, we're off a, a normal schedule at this point, but I think it's like like once a quarter ish. I can do them if requested. Anyway, regardless. Um, Part of what I talk about in that process is that when it comes to conflicts, when it comes to relationships with people, like uh, many things cannot be just, uh, you know, one process for everything, 
like things have to be taken differently based off of the case that they're in. Like how you you have, you know, a conversation about domestic violence, how you have a conversation about theft, how you have a conversation about any kind of like conflict between people is really based off of the situation itself, the 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 environment that that situation is in and the rights of those people. And like one thing that I've talked about that I've talked about, like in my own personal case um, for anybody who's come uh uh, talking about like my personal um, experience with uh, sexual violence uh, is is that I was removed from that. It became not the person who harmed me versus me, but the person who harmed me versus the state. And like well, the thing that I'm realizing now is like that's what's happening to the patient. Like that being taken out of your own story, <laughs> not not having that story being taken in the context that it's supposed to be taken in, which is the life of the patient and their needs and their environment and their situation. Um, it, and it's, you know, for for somebody who like has never experienced these things, these like, big events in life or these uh, desires or, you know, needing to end a pregnancy, whatever it is for a person who's not in that situation, they may think, Oh, of course we can have like a blanket statement about this, but no, you can't have a blanket statement. There is no blanket uh, understanding of a person's life and what they want and what they physically can handle and what, you know, all of the factors and, <laughs> it, it just it, it's really interesting to me that I'm like just seeing that connection between um, restorative and transformative justice, which we talk about, like having safe and sustainable communities being uh, based in abolition um, is a lot about uh, is a lot of what we talk about in the RTJ training. But thinking about this, uh, like the the way that the state is taking that uh, right that um, taking that patient out of their own story is very similar to the way that the state takes the person who's harmed out of the, the conversation around their harm. It's not like that. It's not that person no longer like if, you know, if you're the person who's been harmed, you're no longer the it's, it's not against you. You don't have any choice in like what, the person who harmed you experiences you don't have any that's that's not once it goes to the state the state gets to do whatever they want with it and as as i'm reading this and as i'm thinking about this like case by case basis part that that's what's happening to the patient and it i know for me i mean granted i was not in a place to be making decisions about what happened to the person who harmed me in the in the time that that happened but if something like that happened to me now and I'm thinking about some of the stories that are in books like uh, Beyond Survival, uh, where people talk about like uh, violence that happens within families. And once that violence is reported to um, um, authorities, then the authorities can do whatever they want. But like if that's your brother, if that's your cousin, if that's whoever, your feelings around how they're quote unquote punished um, are different. And like, you don't have any choice in that once it goes to the state and like your feelings around your pregnancy, around how that pregnancy affects your family around like 
how you want to move forward with your life and like your reproductive health care. The fact that the state is just ripping you out of that is really unfair and like kind of leaves you feeling a bit helpless. And especially I know like a lot of these um, as as we've been living in this post row world, you know, I hear about like people who are, um, you know, trying to that miscarriage care that's uh, listed in um, in this bout amendment um, uh, that like people are afraid to get miscarriage of care after a miscarriage because they don't know what's going to happen to them legally. Like the fact that people are are afraid to get care is absolutely unacceptable. And like the those those kinds of things, like it makes the patient feel helpless. It makes the patient feel afraid to care for themselves. And like that shouldn't be happening. So I'm glad that those things are named and uh, <laughs> I'm glad I'm seeing the light on <laughs> this thing that I care so yeah. much and do trainings on. Well, <laughs> you, you know, in in several conversations over the years, um, I have heard Jesse Hill, who's one of our favorite, favorite, favorite lawyers, mm-hmm. um, Jesse Hill, who is associate dean for research and faculty development at the School of Law at Case Western. Um, I've heard Jesse Hill use the phrase judicial paternalism mm. which i think is so it, it it speaks to what you you've shared you know this idea that um the court system comes in and paternalistically makes decisions for people mm-hmm. devoid of a, a an empathetic connection to who that person is what that person's situation and community life looks like and i feel like in many ways we have accepted in reproductive health rights and justice in the state, a reproductive paternalism when it comes to how the state treats all of those elements that are in the ballot initiative, right? Contraception, mm-hmm. um, the ability to continue pregnancy, infertility or fertility treatments, and abortion care, and miscarriage management, right? All of these things have, have developed through a series of judicial and legislative maneuvers that have said, this is what you can expect in the state of Ohio. This is a treatment you can expect. You know, when you go in um, to a hospital setting and have a miscarriage, you can expect a different set of values and a different set of um, compassionate options offered to you than if you go to an abortion clinic with the desire to receive the same kind of care, mm-hmm. right? There, there is, there's the same process that's available, how it is offered and under what restrictions it's offered and who has to pay for it and what kind of um, you know, stigma is attached to the doctors that perform that care. It's totally different mm-hmm. because of reproductive paternalism. And I'm really hoping that the embrace of this ballot initiative by the state can be the beginning of the death of reproductive paternalism. It won't obviously fix everything. I mean, we have a lot of of wrinkles in in the dress here when it comes to um, all the issues around reproductive health rights and justice in the state. Mm -hmm. But I think this will, will help to iron some things out, make some things clear. And, um, 
just a, a little tongue-in-cheek here, I'm really hopeful that passing this ballot initiative will free up our state legislators to be able to get about doing all the other important work that they have to do, um, since they clearly feel that it's most important for them to try to pass regulations and bans on abortion all the time. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, this will free them up to, you know, go do other things, like I don't know, deal with, um, you know, economic and environmental catastrophe that comes from deregulation that we Mm -hmm. saw in East Palestine this week, Mm -hmm. or, you know, address anything related to infant mortality in our state. Mm -hmm. Um, Just a whole laundry list of things they could be doing Mm -hmm. that they clearly haven't been able to do because they felt it was their paternalistic responsibility to tell everybody how to birth children Mm -hmm. or not birth children. Yeah. And... I mean, around the East Palestine stuff, or is it is it Palestine? Is it East Palestine or Palestine? I say Palestine, but you know, I, everybody's got a everybody's got a different way of saying. I just it. know that Ohio is really weird. I mean, like we have Rushi <laughs> that's spelled Russia, and nobody knows how to pronounce my hometown, Bell Fountain, um, because it looks like Belly Fontaine. Um, so, I, Ohio names for cities are weird. Um, so I apologize if I have mispronounced this, but, uh, it, it is astonishing to me the way that we focus so, the, that state legislators focus so much if we're talking about that paternalism on cracking down on people having abortions, but not cracking down on, you know, making sure that, like, regulation is in place so that when there are emergencies people can know in time to like stop the emergencies and like stop thousands of fish from dying and the waterways being polluted but that's just me i would think that that kind of thing would be like important but yeah let's just uh you know stop adults from making decisions about themselves or just people making decisions about their own lives yeah well, yeah. and, and today, um, as I sit here, um, a Christian pastor on one of the, uh, arguably one of the higher holy days yes. in our, our Christian year, the beginning of the Lenten season, I'm reminded of the passages that we read in um, our liturgy for the day, particularly passages from the Hebrew Bible, you know, passages from from Joel, the second chapter of Joel, and from the 58th chapter of Isaiah. Um, Isaiah in particular, and, you know, full confession, I've already been to two services today. I'm going to lead a a third service this evening. Um, I got ash on my forehead because that's what we do on Ash Wednesday. (laughs) But um, that passage from Isaiah talks about an ethic. You know, there's this question, um, there's this question around, is this really the fast that I'm choosing, Mm. right? Like, why, why are you engaging in this? Why are you doing these things and, and making these choices? I'll, I'll read just a a bit from Isaiah, Isaiah uh, chapter 58 and beginning at verse five. Uh, This is the question that gets offered. Is such the fast that I choose a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? 
Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of injustice, mm. to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? This is this is just a, a central portion of that reading, and, and the reading goes on to speak about you know if, if you do these things, if you do all these these things that uh, you know are being spoken of as the fast that is chosen by God, you know the real fast of of positively embracing the community. If you do these things, your light will shine forth, right? And I wonder of our our legislators, vast majority of our anti-abortion legislators in Ohio claim to be Christian. Um, and they claim a Christianity that is more interested in prohibiting abortion than it is helping anybody do anything positive for any child mm -hmm. in this community. That there is a sense of um, purity by the absence of doing the one thing that we have decided we don't like, right? they're not positively engaging in ways that are really building up this community because we have a lot of work to do if we want to, you know, shine forth like the light in darkness. I mm -hmm. mean, good Lord, you, you, you look at those pictures from, uh, you know, the, the disaster in East Palestine and Palestine, however you want to say it. Um, it really looks apocalyptic, right? And long after that cloud of toxic, uh, flaming, uh, you know, material was gone from that community, they're going to be left with consequences for generations mm -hmm. in that place. We are going to be left for generations with consequences from people refusing to care for the needy, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to mm -hmm. care for the poor, right? All of these things that we're supposed to be doing and instead, they've taken it upon themselves to try to be more and more invasive in the lives of birthing people, right? It's, it, it's just absolutely astronomical, the contrast there. And I think for those of us entering a Lenten season, Lent is about examination. Mm -hmm. It's primarily about, uh, you know, taking a look at how's that going for you? And I think as a state, we have to ask ourselves, okay, we've had, we've had 35, almost 40 years of anti-abortion politicians pushing their agenda on the people of the state. How's that going for us, right? Our youth and young adults are leaving the state at record numbers, so much so we're not even maintaining our population in relation to the rest of the United States. People are filing out of Ohio, right? Mm -hmm. We've, we've lost a congressional seat over it, right? Mm -hmm. We are at a position where we have worse health outcomes across many, many demographics than we did even, you know, 5, 10, 15 years ago. Infant mortality is at unacceptably, unacceptably high rates in this state. And the idea that we are paying tremendous amounts out of state coffers for programs at these fake clinics, these fake you know, crisis pregnancy centers mm -hmm. that don't work, that don't supply anybody with any demonstrable benefit, and yet we keep funding them with state tax dollars that could be going to all of these other needful resource-based, you know, causes, these means-tested programs that we know work. 
it's it's sinful, you know. It yeah. it is really a problem. So as as we enter the Lenten season, I think we have to examine ourselves in the state and say, it ain't working, yeah. right? We have a lot more work to do. Mm-hmm. This ballot initiative, it's the first step, but my my, we have much more work to do once we get this passed. Yeah, right? and I think like uh, what what this has also shown to us, you know, as we're looking at um, ourselves, as we're examining the picture of where we are, where we are and how this is working for us. Like, I think what we've come to is like, we can't trust these anti-abortion lawmakers. We can't trust our own state to take care of us. That's why so many people have been leaving. That's why the um, health outcomes are much lower. That's why I always say that Ohio is the bad place. Um, And if we're going to make Ohio a good place, then uh, it has to be in the hands of the people. That's just that we have to, we have to show up for each other, and I think this is just the first step in doing that, and the first step in um, making Ohio just a little bit better. Um, but that's all we got for this week. Uh, we will be back in two weeks, and uh, you know, take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Our Soul. If you'd like to hear more of our conversations on religion, abortion access, and all things repro, you can find all our episodes on Podbean, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. For more content, training, and other information, check us out at faithchoiceohio.org.